Greetings, everybody, and welcome to week three of the Dourisms podcast presented by the great people at County Market, Jet Beecham alongside. I'm Chris Dewar, your host, and over the course of this podcast, we're going to suspend our usual format just a bit for this week and take advantage of the fact that this is actually week six of the high school football season, believe it or not, and traditionally on our Dourisms web column, this is the week we address our mid-season awards. And Jet and I are going to do that here to save us the two or three hours of extra writing that would have brought into our week. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about the week ahead high school football-wise. We'll talk about our favorite things in pop culture and tri-state sports as well. But as promised, we're going to start off talking about awards, high school football awards to what we've seen to this point in the season. We're going to do them thusly, Jet, as we have always done on the internet column. We're going to talk Missouri-Iowa, and then we're going to talk Illinois. And I want to start with you by talking about the best coaching performance to date in Missouri-Iowa. Who do you think has turned in the best coaching performance to this point in terms of what their teams have done relative to expectations or maybe just what they've been able to elicit out of their teams based on the way they're rostered and structured at this point? You know, Chris, I'm going to have to go with two coaches. I know it's really hard to nail one down at this point um, personally in the season. Uh, still, despite the loss to Washington this past week, I still have to give a shout-out to what Josh Roberts has done in Keokuk. Absolutely changing that culture around. Again, that team was out to this best start they've had in about four or five years, especially coming from a first-year head coach. We didn't know what you know what Keokuk would show coming in early in this season. And what they've given us so far were, you know, four straight wins out of the gate. You know, they run into a great Washington squad that, again, you know, is a top-10 team in the state if people do are not familiar with the demons uh, over there. So, I mean, to, to be fair, it was obviously a letdown of maybe what we expected from Keokuk in Week 5. But, I mean, to, to win those four of the first five games, to do most of those almost in dominating fashion and just look like a completely different team on paper than we've seen in the last three to four years, I'd have to give Josh Roberts a shout on that. Second, I talk about this team a lot. Chris mentioned it's my favorite team. I have to go with Troy Carper and the Scotland County Tigers. You know, based in large part of, you know, just losing the guys they lost last year. I mean, we, we if you saw last year, we had praises for Will Fromm, arguably the, one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best, in our area, running that offense and doing what they did. And, of course, he comes back. And, and now what he's going to do with this sophomore quarterback, well, they have flourished this year. Scotland County has been one of the better teams this year. I believe they dropped their first of the year and have now since won three or four straight um, if, if memory serves me correctly. And that team's just been absolutely on fire as of like doing things, you know, especially offensively. I think that's maybe where I'm surprised the most. Again, I, I saw them in that jamboree and, and they've looked like that team and much more so far early on in the season. So if I had two candidates in Missouri and Iowa, you know, I got you guys get one of each from me, uh, but I, it'd have to be between those two. All right, I'm going to go a little different route, probably not nearly as sexy and a lot more obvious, but I'm going to go with Jim Newstead at Centralia and the fact that they are undefeated at 5-0. and They ran an absolute gauntlet out of the gate to get there with Monroe City, Palmyra, and Clark County, all really impressive victories. Here's the thing. Jim Newstead was under pressure, and, and I know it's high school football coaching, and we say it's not the same pressure as college. Pressure is pressure. You know, It doesn't matter at what level you're at. And when you're emerging from the shadows of the legendary Earl Bennett, that's never easy 
easy. And when you don't win and have instant success, people start to whisper and they start to wonder and you start to doubt yourself and people will start the the narrative, well, was Jim Newstead just a great offensive line coach and maybe not a great head coach? What we've seen from this Centralia team this year, both offensively and defensively, is they are as complete as anybody. They're getting better because the passing game started to reemerge this week. I, I found it weird, but John Durant threw his first three touchdown passes this week, which, you know, hadn't happened yet because they really hadn't needed it. Luke Hunter has been so dominant in the run game, they really haven't needed it. And this is a team that's averaging five points against to this point. They've given up 25 points total in five games. And again, I will list the teams they've beaten. I mean, Palmyra can score. Clark County has Caleb Lapsley. I mean, they, you know, Monroe City has weapons aplenty. Keenan Batzel. They've held that collective in five games to a total of 25 points. So that's super impressive. Uh, a tip of the cap to Jim Newstead, well-deserved for what he's done. And, and his kids have really handled their business and done so in a way that has elicited respect from just about universally everybody they've played. It's a really good Centralia team. It is a 5-0 and Centralia team. It is the only undefeated team left in Northeast Missouri for us, and I think that deserves a nod. And I think Jim Newstead is and his crew are on the way to something special, and they'll have a chance this week to throw one more monkey off their back if they can finally figure out how to beat Mexico. So that's where I stand on that one, Jed. I liked your choices, but but to me, I think Jim Newstead might be the obvious choice there. Illinois, I think it gets a little trickier. You have two undefeated teams, obviously, out there in Camp Point Central and Beardstown right now. Uh, you know, with Robbie Howard and Brad Dixon doing what they do, and they've been good since the jump when they took over those respective jobs. Are those the obvious candidates, or is there somebody you might like more, Jet? And you just mentioned those two. I mean, when I was thinking of, obviously, the top the top coaches in the area, you, you look at those teams that are still you know, undefeated. We don't have many of them left in the Tri-State. You mentioned the two of them. They face each other next week. So maybe if we were having this podcast, you know, a week after, you know, today, then we, you know, go on based on who won that game. But I'm going to stray from those two just because of the fact that they were both successful teams last year. And so I think, you know, obviously great coaches love Brad Dixon, love Robbie Howard. But me personally, I'm, I'm going to have to stick things here in Quincy, and I'm going with Jack Cornell. I just think what Q&D has done this year, you know, throw out the fact they were home for the first three weeks, and their one loss this year comes to an absolute powerhouse who has been putting, pretty much putting up points on everyone this season. And Q&D, you know, despite giving up a lot of points, held them below their season average. You know, take from that what you will. But that Q&D team, you know, looking at it from last year, looks night and day different in year two under Jack Hornell. You know, what he's done, I think, I just think he uses his pieces beautifully. I think him and his assistant coaches, you know, just really get the best out of what they have. They they use Johnny Onimus in space. They use different formations, Ike Wiley and Shotgun. They'll still run things up and, you know, go in the, in the eye and, and run things, you know, down downhill with Onimus as well. Also, Jack Marth giving him a shout out. I just like what that offense has done, and that defense has looked very, very good this year. You know, if for if anything, if you you know were tuning into to what they did against Granite City this past weekend, I mean, Q and D's defense really, really came up big when they needed them to, and that team's just found a way, you know, to win games. And now they're at four and one right now, best start in I believe five years, and that says a lot, especially with you know what we've grown accustomed to, and, and you know obviously what Chris is accustomed to, you know, being here for so long and, and knowing those great Q and D teams over uh, Coach Cannell. So I, I just, me personally, I think halfway through the season, I think Jack Hornell's probably had the best, you know, maybe based on preseason expectations that we've done. And of course, the Raiders get another big test coming up, you know, with Breeze Matter Day having to go on the road. So, you know, we'll see how the Raiders do. Obviously, things don't get any easier, but I just think what they've done so far and what they've put on paper, I, I, to me, it's Jack Cornell. 
I, I think I'm going to agree with you there, though. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you just a little bit because there there is some argument to be made. Maybe the Raiders' schedule take away Peoria Central is a little softer. I mean, you play four games out of the gate at home. Uh, and, and obviously, I think some of those, you know, lowered expectations come off of a, a rough year last year. Now, all of that established, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think Jack Cornell has done the best job improving his team from last year to this of anybody in the area. You touched on some very salient points. I mean, obviously, this is a Notre Dame team that is defensive well. They showed last week that they can deal with adversity, which to me is the biggest um, measuring stick of how far this team has come. As, as Jack said last week, they don't flinch now. Well, they got in a bad position at Granite City where they were down 7 to nothing, giving up a scoop and score last week and responded by playing Q&D football. And I, I mean, the pieces are there. So um, obviously this is a team that, that gets tested a little higher at this point. Uh, again, I'm not sure that they've played as, as tough a schedule uh, without having to go on the road as other people. And if, if you want to ding them for that, I certainly understand that. West Hancock is very down this season, uh, you know. So there are some things. This is a Lexington team that wasn't as good as last year's Lexington team out of the schedule. If those are things you want to throw against them, I, I guess I'd listen to you. But to my point, I think, again, if the standard is what you've done relative to what everybody thought you would do, I think Jack Cornell is a pretty clear answer. Uh, I'm not sure Jack Cornell's making a lot of friends out there with the way that they're winning games. I know that there was some, you know, there with some animosity, I guess, post the, the West Hancock game from the, the nature of that score. And, and you know, that, that goes back to last year with Jack saying some things before the Quincy High contest and, and having to wear that after the fact. But that's football. And I don't think Jack Cornell cares about making friends or niceties. I think he cares about putting the best possible football team with the best possible kids that he can out there. And as long as they conduct themselves the way he wants, and they've won with a lot of, uh, you know, their, their kids are all about their business. That's all it is. There's no histrionics. There's no anything. They go out, they attend their business, and they did that again this week. So I think I'd agree with you that it's Jack Cornell. But you know, if you want to make the argument it's Brad Dixon, you could probably make that argument every year. If you want to make the argument it's Robbie Howard, you could make that argument every year since he's taken over. I, I mean, I think those two guys deserve a lot of credit for what they've done. You know, I thought Connor McLaughlin last week was 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 a surprise that the bottom fell out of Unity Pace in the way it did. But I thought Connor McLaughlin has done a wonderful job to date. I, I wish. The Mustangs would have performed better because I was kind of almost leaning that direction last week had they beaten Beardstown or played well against Beardstown and gotten to 4-1 and one the way they had with what would have only been Carrollton on their loss sheet at that point. But say la vie, that's where we're at at this point. All right, let's shift it over to the offensive player of the year in your mind. And I'm going to start in Missouri for you, Jet. Missouri, Iowa, who stood out to you the most so far this year in terms of their performance, what they've been able to do? I know there's a lot of good players on the board. You know, we talked about Luke Hunter and the numbers he's put up. Uh, Damian French has come back to life. Caleb Lapsley's still over there. Uh, you know, those might be some of the front runners, but I, I think there are a lot of guys you can consider in this category, and I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, you kind of just mentioned my guy in those three that you just named off, and I'm, I'm probably going to have to go with Caleb Lapsley. I, I just I just think exactly what he brings to Clark County, and I've had a, a chance to see them, and, you know, we mentioned that vaunted Centralia defense, and, and Lapsley found a way to gut him. I mean, that was really the only weakness of the game was him busting off that that really, really long run. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, we've we've seen the highlights. There was even this at, a, at their game um, against, was it, South Shelby this past weekend. You know, we had a, a touchdown run called back that would have made sensational seven if not up there two or one because it was just unbelievable people don't understand like i mean yeah this kid's a little slimy he's hard to catch because he's so quick but man he can lower the shoulder too and he can he can break tackles and, and and to me he's the most electrifying player 
that I have still seen in Missouri and maybe in the area. I mean, it's just pretty ridiculous how fast he is and how, how important of a cog he is to that Clark County machine, not only running the ball, but also receiving the ball. He's a pretty much, I mean, he can, he's a one-man show, and he can do pretty much anything. And the offense runs through him, and everyone knows it. And even when people key on Mr. Lapsley, I mean, he still puts up numbers. And, I, and, and you know, often he'd probably have higher numbers if Clark County, you know, when some of these wins weren't blowing out people. Uh, but, you know, what he does and, and how important he is to the Clark County offense, and especially how impressive they've been this year. I mean, only dropping that game to Centralia, it just, you know, proves and, and further, you know, back backs up that point that I just think Caleb Lapsley, at least to this point, has been the player of the year in Missouri. All right, I'm going to go a couple of different routes with you. I, guys I considered, I, I thought about Anthony Potrots, who's been incredible in in kind of being the bridge guy that's gotten Corey Skinner at quarterback to where he's gotten, and that, that secondary punch at Keokuk, obviously, to Braylon Martinez that helps broaden what has been a really good Keokuk offense up until last week. I mentioned Luke Hunter. I thought he's put up incredible numbers. I mean, when you gash Palmyra the way you did for almost 300, that's a really good defense. That That's saying a ton right there. Uh, you know, there there are some other guys that I really like in the mix. Your guy, Hayden Long, who's had an incredible an incredible start at quarterback, and his brother Alex is no slouch either. Um, to me at this point, I, I think the Offensive Player of the Year is the guy who's at the tiller for the North Shelby Raiders, and that's Dayton Metis. I think you you look at what they've done, and I know Kale Stoneburner stepped up big in his absence this week, obviously with 103 yards rushing in the second half to pull off what to me is the most impressive victory of any of our teams in the area in beating North Andrew last week. But, you know, you look at Dayton Metis, and he's a game changer for that team. He can run it. He can sling it. He's, you know, he's an all-around guy who gets the job done. And again, of the teams on our board, right now, North Shelby, after what they did last week, after beating a top-four team in the state in eight-man football, looks like the best bet of any team we have in the area to win a state title. Dayton Medicine is at the center and the heart of all of that. He's a super smart kid. He knows when to pull it. He knows when to run it. He's tougher than nails. I mean, I, I think we've seen him be a very special catalyst for some very special things that have taken place in Shelbyville thus far. So if I had to tip my cap at, at this point to somebody, I, I think Dayton Metis would be my front runner, though there are a lot of guys, I think, who are going to be in this conversation. And heck, Hannibal's come back to life. If Dakota Compton doesn't get hurt at Palmyra, I think he's in this discussion just by the power that he adds to the Palmyra run game. Uh, you know, Monroe City still has Kenny Batzel out there that, you know, is going to have a say in all of this when it's all said and done. But to my mind right now, just based on what they've done through the first five games of the season, I'd go with uh, Dayton Metis and I'd go with his uh, outstanding performance for North Shelby. And speaking of that, if you have a can-do attitude, then you don't want to miss the fantastic Cantastic sale this week at County Market. Incredible prices on more than 100 canned items across the store right now. Don't forget to scan your Max card. All right, we're going to max out now on our pick for the Illinois Offensive MVP to this point. Again, I think it's probably, you know, to my mind, I think there's a clear and obvious candidate on one of those undefeated teams. It's just which of those undefeated teams do you take that obvious candidate from, Jet? Which way are you going on this one? Or are you going to go off the board outside of Pascal Guilavogi and Brandon Ross Miller and tell me it's somebody else? Yeah, it's not somebody else, Chris. I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, just putting things out there. It, I have to go with Pascal Guilavogi. I, I, I just, I mean, to me, it's he was. We were actually at this same point exactly last year, where Pascal was absolutely going off, and of course, Jirel ended up taking our Player of the Year. Just you know, for exactly what he did. But man, if if you if you hadn't had a chance to to watch Pascal Guilavogi play football. 
do yourself a favor and go catch a Beardstown game. And actually, go catch, catch the Beardstown, Beardstown Central game yes. that's coming up this Friday because that's going to be absolutely electric. And, and, you know, I think the biggest difference this year with Pascal is that, you know, Robbie Howard's definitely, I like to call it the wild Pascal formation, where he puts him out there at quarterback. And, you know, obviously almost every single time it's going to be a run and almost every single time it works. But, man, if you haven't seen Pascal throw the ball, I mean, he might have the strongest arm in the tri-states. It's ridiculous the power that man can throw with. And, and, you know, not many completions, but when they take a shot down field, you know, they almost always put the hand, put it in the hands of Pascal, and it's amazing what he can do. And, you know, we mentioned, you know, that Unity Beardstown game we saw this past weekend. We thought it was going to be a lot closer, especially with, with the way Connor McLaughlin's boys uh, out of Unity Payson have been looking. But, man, Pascal was unstoppable this past weekend. And, you know, in a half a play, I believe he had over 200 yards rushing, I mean, he, he, he put out the, the highlight reel, and we have all the highlights, especially, you know, back on our sports final page. But he was just unbelievable. I mean, and there's and there's and we've seen it, and we've seen it time and time again. And he puts up numbers, and I swear in, like, the Duerisms call him every week. He's in the top ten of the players. I believe he's player of the week this week, Chris. Did he, you have him? He is player yeah. of the week so this week. I, so, I yes. mean, it's just unbelievable what Pascal does and how important he is. And teams know he's – the, the best part is teams know he's important, and they still can't stop him. I mean, he is unstoppable, and I think obviously the hardest test is going to be this Friday. I think Central presents presents the best defense they're going to face all season. You know, maybe even when it comes to the playoffs, Central's that good and that well coached, and they, you know, these two teams know each other. So it'll be interesting to f- see. But look, you know, it was either going to be him or Brandon Ross Miller. It really was, especially with what Mr. Ross Miller has done now. Give him credit. It, it seems like Central always goes up big, and so, you know, Ross Miller doesn't get as many carries. Maybe that's why he's not as high in the stats department, but I just have to go with Pascal, especially with what he means to Beardstown up to this season. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, though. I'll give a, a special mention to Ike Wiley for the job he's done at quarterback for Quincy Notre Dame to this point, which has been uh, incredible. Uh, you know, he he is a super composed, super fun kid to watch. Love Brandon Ross Miller's speed and burst. He's kind of the the Western Illinois version of Caleb Lapsley, who who Jet mentioned earlier. But to me, I mean, the numbers with Pascal Gilavogi are just insane. He's rushed for 971 yards on just 63 carries, currently has 13 touchdowns. By the way, if you're doing the per-carry average so far this season, here's your clinching argument for Pascal. He's averaging 15 yards a carry. 15 yards a carry, and maybe that goes down this week when they play Camp Point Central. It probably will, just a skosh, if not more, given how good Central's defense is. But he's the guy that everybody on the field is laying for. He's the guy that you've got to go out and stop, and I think right now he's head and shoulders above everybody. Um, also, a, a tip of the cap, though, to Lucas Reese, who's who's been a really important piece added to the Quincy High puzzle as well for a kid who, you know, was a basketball kid only up until this year for, for a long, long time in his life. Lifetime. So that, that certainly changes things around as well for the Blue Devils. But I, I think this is probably as cut and dried as any decision we have. Pascal Gilavogi is also my choice for Illinois Offensive Player of the Year. All right, we're going to talk Defensive Players of the Year now in Illinois and Missouri. And I'm going to start off in Missouri, Jet, because I think there are a couple of, you know, some, some pretty good candidates out there. Um, you know, as good as Centralia's defense is, it's really a collective. It'd be hard to cite any one Panther. I mean, I think this past week they had eight guys with five tackles or more. So, I mean, they've got some guys who can go, but who do you take from that group? I mean, when you start talking about Palmyra or Monroe City, uh, Hannibal, I mean, th- those different teams all have more individualized players that I think lend themselves better than this. Who's your choice walking into this right now, Jed? 
this is a tough one. I mean, it really is. There's a lot of players, and part of me, part of me wants to go with Anthony Potras on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned him, you know, as what is he, how important he's been to Corey Skinner. He's been unbelievable on the defensive side of the ball as well. Not only you know being kind of that defensive end outside linebacker that can get get to the, get after the you know the passer, but man, he can he can intercept it too. I mean, he had a, an interception return for a touchdown about a week ago, and he's been unbelievable. But if I had a if I had to go with somebody, it would probably be Max Ace out of okay. Monroe City. Uh, you know, when I when I think you know of names that just popped off the paper, people that we knew kind of had to take that next step. And he's already an All-State player, and I mentioned the next step. It's because you lose guys like John Saxbury. So now people are keying in on you, and almost everything through that defense runs through him. And and so I just think what he has done, you know, to not only, you know, give Monroe City, I mean, they've taken their lumps this season. Let's, you know, let's just be honest. But with the stats he's put up, with what he's done for Monroe City, and they've come back and they've been able to stop some offenses. And obviously, Megan's a hard test for anybody. Centralia is as well. But I think what he's done for Monroe City, you know, so far after the season has been important. And I think definitely an all-state campaign coming up again for Mr. Hayes. I'm going to go a very different route with you. And I know they're not as successful as some of the other teams in our area. But to me, when you ask me who the best defensive player is in Missouri or Iowa right now, the most impactful player, and you mentioned Anthony Potratz, and you mentioned you didn't mention Dylan Jeffers. He'd be another guy like that. Cason Wilt from South Shelby. But to me, there's one guy that stands out above all else, and that's Robert Mock and what he does in the middle of that Knox County defense. And he's an absolute monster that can't be blocked. And he's relentless. I think he was the homecoming king on top of everything else this week. He He's a guy that brings it every single play, and I have not yet seen the updated stats, but he's averaging 12 tackles a game last I looked. And I'm surprised it's not more than that. He is the centerpiece of all that they do. He's a super good offensive lineman on top of everything else. But but to me, a guy who impacts the right attitude, the right profile, and really sets the tone for the entirety of that defense, I think it's Robert Mock, hands down at this point. No disrespect to the Clarence Cannon Conference, which is loaded with great defenders. Um, but to me, that's the guy that when, when I think, hey, What's elite? What stands out on the highlights? What really changes the equation of your program? I'd go with Robert Mock. So let's do the same thing in Illinois now, Jet. Um, and, and I know that might be a little more varied as well because I don't know that there's anybody statistically that really kind of pings radar to the same level as, as guys like Case and Wilt and Robert Mock, or maybe there is to your mind. What, where are you looking Illinois defensively? You know, and, and you, you mentioned that. It's actually a great point. You kind of almost gravitate to the teams in Illinois that are, one, very, very good and very, very good defensively. And you look at those teams and you kind of look at the leaders and maybe guys who didn't have, you know, maybe they were breakout candidates this year. And this is what I kind of look at who mine is this year because, again, you know, when you're the linebacker in a central defense, that's the most important, you know, position pretty much relative to that defense. And you're replacing a guy that, you know, was our player of the year last year um, on the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, Noah Strokerich was unbelievable last year. And so the man pretty much having to wear that mantle and, you know, put on, put the defense on his back sometimes is Jackson Mueller. I just think what he's done for Central, exactly what, what they've done to opposing offenses this year in shutting them down and being big, big time players has been unbelievable. And of course, we mentioned they get their biggest test coming up now this Friday. So what will they do against that? But I, I, I just think, you know, that Central defense so far has been what we're accustomed to seeing, and it's because this team is able to replace guys like Noah Strokerch time and time again with guys like Jackson Mueller. And he leads that defense, and I just think that defense, you know, has been 
the best in the area. I think, you know, bar none, Central, you know, hangs their hat on that, and they've done it time and time again to stop offenses, and I think they'll continue to do that, regardless if it's a Beardstown or maybe some tougher teams they have coming up. Some honorable mention guys for me before I get to my pick. I mean, I think despite the fact that he's toiling for an 0-5 team, you can't go without mentioning Kodiak Rogers and all that he brings to Pleasant Hill Western. Uh, I, I, two guys at Beardstown who've really come on on that offensive line are Espinoza and Kayembe. I mean, those are two of the best. Both of those defensive ends had, what, three sacks this week each. Uh, Jack Barth has been great. Lake Bergman has been great for Quincy Notre Dame. Uh, you know, love watching the, the, the work that Grant James does. Um, and Mr. Wilson does for, for Quincy High School. Those two guys go every week. Uh, John Ogle is a guy at Macomb who's played incredibly well on both sides of the ball, but I, I'm going to agree with you. It's Jackson Mueller for me, kind of hands down at this point. Maybe over Clint Cooper, his counterpart within the Beardstown middle linebacking scenario. But, you know, Jackson Mueller has, has been the steady, calming force, the quiet storm, if you will, for that team for two years now. His tackle numbers were insane last year, and they're on, online to be so again as he's averaged a dozen tackles a game, kind of like Robert Mock is. Uh, this week he had an off week because they only played a half and ended up with six total tackles, but five of them were solo. So I, I think Jackson Mueller is not just a great player, but he's a great leader for that defense. Um, and, you know, he's got talent around him that certainly helps with the job, whether it's Remington Bueller in front of him, uh, Julius Shero, who's had a really good start to this season, or Brandon Rossmiller back behind him. I mean, all that, all that stuff is great, but I don't think it goes the same without Jackson Mueller, and I'm going to agree with you on that front. All right, I want to ask you, Jet, because I'm kind of here, and I kind of think I know with your Scotland County love where the answer is, but to me, or, or maybe you're looking at a Macon wide receiver, to me, who's your best underclassman that you've seen in tri-state football today? Oh, you're dropping this one on me. Let's see, best underclassmen. Yeah, like, and part of me would want to go with, you know, Hayden and Alex Long. I think, you know, maybe it's a little cheating that they're twins and that I can't choose between one, so I'd have to choose a combo. But, you know, I, I, I think personally I might have to go with Hannibal's John Klubine. Yeah, Klubine has been very because good. Because he's been unbelievable. I mean, I, and it was lost early in the season with just the start that, that Hannibal, you know, came on. But Klubine... You know, in those games, you know, he made plays. I, I don't even know how many interceptions he had. I think there was one game he had two or three alone. And this kid, we're talking about a kid that was a, a javelin thrower that randomly came onto the sport last year and, you know, was was winning district and things like that as a freshman. And so now he's just a sophomore, kind of like, you know, the Hayden and Alex Longs of the world. And he's playing, you know, some of the best teams in Missouri better than really, you know, a lot of these small schooler teams are, you know, with more talent, you know, and bigger roster numbers. And I think I think he's he's holding his own as much as anybody. And I think, you know, that defense has actually been looking better. Things have been getting better as things have gone on. And I think Klubine has been, you know, really an underappreciated, you know, part of that. I, I think he's really put up his stats and we've had we've had highlights of him, you know, knocking down balls, but he also grabs interceptions too. So if I had an a guy that maybe that's under the radar that, you know, we'll see in the next two or three years that is going to really, really explode, Mr. John Klubon from Hannibal. I think I'm going to disagree with you just a touch, although those are all really good points, and I love watching Klubine. I mean, there's a kid who's going to be a star in track and field and football for the next couple of years. He's a pretty good wide receiver at Macon, though, that I think you've seen more than I have. Yeah, Christian Reichberg has, has been phenomenal, and this past week he he, he had four rece- or three receiving touchdowns and an 81-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in a loss to Moberly. He was the whole show. Christian can flat go. You watch him run patterns. He's always open, which is inexplicable to me. I 
I mean, we get on and we watch the huddle videos pretty constantly around here before we, you know, attack doerisms for the games that we don't see. And I, I just see him finding space better than any receiver I've seen. Uh, Christian has great hands. Um, obviously, that separation speed. Um, you know, he, he's the whole total package. Plus, you know, he had an interception last week. He plays both sides of the ball, plays it well. I think if you're looking for a reason that Blake Class has been such a great addition to the making offense as a quarterback, He's got great receivers, and I don't think there's a better one than Christian. So, yeah, that would be my choice as well. All right, Jed. So we've now got the midseason awards behind us. Looking ahead to week six, anything particularly outside of Central Beardstown, which we've already kind of addressed on the on the tangent, anything else really strike you about the schedule this week? I know, you know, the Macon-Clark County game looms to me as something that would be pretty large, and I know we talked about that a little bit this week. Um, you know, North Shelby, you know, their, their big game is next week with Pattonsburg coming in, so we can kind of skip that. But if you want to go back and address what they did last week, I get it. Anything really stand out to you uh, in terms of what we're looking at at the week, set, week six schedule? And I will say, I, I actually – that you mentioned the Clark County Macon game. That was actually a game I did go to last year, and it was at Macon. So I believe what this year that means it's at Clark County. Yeah, it is. So at Clark. it's and I, and I love going to Clark. I think Clark's a, an, an incredibly fun atmosphere, and, and I think that you know it's kind of just one of those games where you just don't you don't know what's going to happen. Now, like if I was a betting man, I'd probably put it you know on the Indians and expecting the win. But Macon's offense, he just mentioned you know with Christian Reichberg. You know, Mr. Class, they are unbelievable. And, you know, you know, going against that Clark County defense, which is, you know, maybe, you know, one and two with, with Central as far as, you know, maybe Innocent Centralia as well, you know, as far as best defenses in the area, I mean, they're there. And, and it's going to be fun. So we're talking, like, literally one of the best offenses we've seen against one of the best defenses. And we're not even mentioning the fact that, oh, yeah, Clark County also has a great offense led by my Missouri Player of the Year and Mr. Lapsley. So I think that, as far as exciting matchups where, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I just I love that. That excites me, if anything. That would be my two to the Central Beardstown game. If I had to pick a third one, probably, ooh, let's let's go with Kirksville at Palmyra. And I know Kirksville has kind of had, you know, some trouble right now, but I think those games get exciting when they play the teams you know, that we're accustomed to seeing in Palmyra and in Macon. I mean, they had a shootout with Macon, you know, not too long ago. And so I think with Palmyra, you know, trying to continue that that success they had, you know, against South Shelby this past week, uh, or no, sorry, against uh, Highland this past week, uh, I think that's going to be a really fun game, and that one's at Palmyra back home. I just think that's, that's going to be a really fun matchup, too, looking at this week's schedule. What about you, Chris? I'm going to agree with you on Palmyra-Kirksville, which was a game I was kind of, you know, targeting for its sleeper value. Here's the deal. You got Paxton Dempsey, you got Noah Copeland, who had that monster game against Hannibal, who might be the best outside receiver we've seen this season play against any of our teams. And you're going against a Palmyra secondary that I love, that has rangy, athletic kids who make plays. I mean, and Palmyra does that across the board, but I really think Palmyra secondary has a chance to be special. And this is finally that elite level test where you're putting, you know, really good Kirksville receivers and an outstanding quarterback in Dempsey against that unit. Plus, you're bringing the pass rush into play which Abe Hare has done exceptionally well at, to this point for Palmyra off the edge. So I, I think that's a really fun game. I wish there was more resonant value to Macomb West Hancock because that's a that's a rival. 
rivalry game that usually is a lot of fun and, and would have something to it. But I just think the fact that McCombs already eliminated and West Hancock has had its struggles has kind of taken some of the bloom off that rose. Uh, Rushville Industry and Elmwood Brimfield. Elmwood Brimfield got upset this week by Bushnell West Prairie, which means Rushville Industry has a chance to steal one back in its favor in its playoff calculus. I think that game holds a lot of value for us as well. And I'm going to throw this out there because I think Scotland County is a prohibitive favorite at West Tran on the road in Huntsville, which may be a game we might go to see, but it's still a question of can you get that West Tran monkey off your back, which has been tough for Scotland County. I think they've got a really good chance not only to win it, but to win it big given West Tran's struggles, but I still want to see it get done, and I think they've got a really good chance to do it, and I think if you make this five in a row and you're Troy Carper, you're in a wonderful spot moving forward for the rest of the season. So those are kind of the biggies from a schedule that's really top-heavy and then not a lot of fun beyond that, although always fun to have the Farmers' Cup. Van Farm Mark Twain is always an interesting and unique atmosphere, and then we'll see what the bounce-backs are this week for Keokuk and home against Mount Pleasant and Fort Madison on the road uh, against Fairfield after running into the double dip that was Washington and Solon, which was no fun at all last week. All right, Jed, anything strike you this week off the football field and what you see, saw, you know, in terms of our travels for soccer, cross country, uh, you know, we got a lot of different places this week. I'm going to start off and I'm going to talk about, you know, something that I saw softball-wise that just, you know, impressed the heck out of me, and that was Riley Strange. I mean, her ability to play shortstop, and she is not a traditionally profiled shortstop. Anybody who's seen her play basketball knows she's a, you know, she's a dominant low-post force who can beast, beast up, kill you on the blocks, has a lot of talent, but she is so quick, so unbelievably quick at shortstop to the softball when it's hit. I heard the West Tran parents behind me at a game this past week where they were just stunned at how quick she is to the ball and how strong her arm is. I mean, she's having a heck of a season, and you can read more about that on Doerism's The Column this week, but Riley Strange kind of stands out to me as sort of my performer of the week, somebody who really turned my head because I didn't realize her softball ability, especially because she was playing catcher last year. She's hitting 563, Jet. I mean, she is hitting a ton, and her on-base percentage is nearly 80% at this point. So she's been a ton. She's sort of the person that stood out to me last week in all of our travels, and we made a lot of them, you and I, from venue to venue. Anybody stand out to you? Yeah, I wouldn't go with personally, but I think as a team, uh, you know, someone that's kind of been flying under the radar doing part to the start they had is the Quincy Eye Soccer Program. I, You know, they, they came out to an 0-3 start this season, obviously losing guys like Jaden Smith, Robbie Phillips. I mean, they lost some all-section, all-type players, you know, both at Forge. You also mentioned Grant Higgins back there, Mr. Happel and Goal. I mean, this is a team that had replaced a lot. They started out 0-3, have since been, I believe, 7-2-2, two and two, and had a really, really good week. I mean, they, you know, they got the win over Q&D not too long ago. That was a big one, and, you know, one that they've been looking for, you know, after, you know, years and past, you know, not being quite successful hey, with the Raiders. And don't either. And don't. And that, exactly. And, and they they just, they found their, I think what, what was, the problem was early on, they just couldn't really score. They they, they couldn't find, you know, the goals. I mean, they, they could get it, but it just seemed like the ball wasn't going in the net. And once it started going in the net, this Quincy I team has gotten a lot more fun, you know, and you can tell that they're enjoying, you know, the success they've had so far, especially when, you know, if you love, you know, blue, social media and high school teams running it, you know, Quincy High does a great job at it, and they just won, you know, the, the UT tournament this past weekend. So, you know, it's just it's just great stuff for them. I mean, 7-5-2 and two now, it doesn't sound like the greatest of records, but, I mean, to do what they did, I mean, a 5-4 win over Belleville East just two days ago, you know, especially having to come back to win that one, I think 
they've just been doing a great job this year. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Ron Bridle has done a great job advancing that team forward, and you touched on, I mean, how tough the Chatham friendlies were this weekend. Those two wins are monster wins. That second game was, what, 5-4, to four, yeah. where they, they yeah. kept finding a way to score, and, you know, I, there were there were times we didn't know if Quincy I was going to score five goals this season, and, and now they're scoring five in a game, and I, I don't know if that Jacksonville game was the wake-up call, because I was there last week and saw them struggle. To, you know, they had four missed one-on-one opportunities in the first half alone. I think whatever it was that those guys said after that game, and I talked to Travis Dinkeller a little bit during that game, something ignited with that Jacksonville game, and, and good, because it's a different Quincy I team right now. I, I also would re- be remiss if I didn't mention my favorite thing in popular culture and in popular tri-state sports culture this week, and it's all the same. It's Andrew Rupich. Um, and it's the Andrew Rupich pitch and catch. I, I, we, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but to see a 310-pound offensive tackle on a lateral play, and if you haven't seen it yet from Saturday night, it was the high spot of a tough loss for the Culver Stockton football team. Uh, we're trying to get it to go viral because it's worth it. Uh, it was the high spot in their loss to number two Benedictine, but the offense is dead. Corbin Markin takes a step backwards, and throws the ball backwards. So you know something's up because when you throw that backwards lateral pass, usually there's a running back on a swing pass or a wide receiver who stepped back off the line of scrimmage who's going to throw the ball downfield. Instead, though, it was Andrew Rupich who was lined up as a tight end which is kind of confusing because it just looks like you have two big tackles out there. He takes a step back and lets fly with the prettiest spiral I think I've seen from anybody this year that surprised everybody, completed it down to the five-yard line, and the, the, the entire stadium went nuts for the, you know, to set up the only touchdown of the game. So that's my favorite thing in pop culture, although I'm a big fan of the uh, Ford versus Ferrari movie trailer. Can't wait to see Christian Bale and Matt Damon in that one. I love cars. Been a Ferrari guy my whole life, but I, I, I tend to think the uh, – the whole setup with this is going to make you a fan of Ford and what they did to beat Ferrari at Le Mans, not to spoil the movie, but that's history. You can't do a historic spoiler, so that was a pretty good thing as well. Jet, do you have a favorite thing in pop culture this week? I do. Everyone, uh, Spider-Man's back. Uh, and I, I, just to, you know, to clarify what I'm talking about, you know, there were problems with the MCU, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you've seen any of the Avengers movies, this is what I'm talking about. Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, all of that. Sony, you know, I, no one's a fan of contract negotiations. And there were for a while, you know, it seemed like Spider-Man and was not going to be a part of the MCU because Sony and Disney could not agree, you know, on, on using him and being able to continue what has been really one of my favorite characters in this, you know, spinoff of the MCU. I love Tom Holland, my favorite Spider-Man. So I was really sad to see them possibly go away you know, from the direction they've been going, especially like if you if you're into that stuff, Spider-Man has you know kind of become the new Iron Man, the leader of the Avengers. You know, he had the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and and Far From Home. Those were two great great movies, and unfortunately, it seemed like the third movie was just going to be completely just you know rip off. Had nothing to do with those two films, and you know things break. This week, Sony and Sony and Disney finally, you know agree to terms and now we get the spider-man that we deserve and i believe it's in 2021 so i'm happy about that also in a uh, a meme of the week uh, if you saw it uh, dak prescott throwing it into quadruple coverage against the saints spawned a, a great picture and a great meme 
uh, of Armari Cooper trying to catch a ball with four states defenders around him. And so, of course, people have been using it to uh, pretty much relate to all the tough things they're going through in life. So that's also been an amazing part of this week uh, in pop culture. Those are two wonderful picks. And I, I had totally forgotten that the whole Tom Holland thing had gotten uh, resolved this week and that we don't have to worry about what was it? What was the side character? The night monkey having uh, to lead the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the night monkey having to lead the, uh, the Avengers or whatever that character was that, that they discovered in France. So yeah, that, that's really good stuff. And by the way, when you're watching your movies, it's dinner made easy at County Mark. Every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, get a free Pepsi 2-liter when you buy a Pizza More take-and-bake pizza from the deli every weekend, now through Halloween at County Market. All right, Jet, good work this week. We've got a huge Friday coming up, as we mentioned. And again, we'll be right back here on the podcast coming up for you next Wednesday. Back to form, we'll be debating a lot of topics next week, including probably the aftermath of what we think will be a classic Beardstown Central football game. Thanks again, everybody, and thanks again to County Market for their support of us for this project, your communities, your schools, and your local kids. <laughs>